Welcome to The Common Rounds. Medical education for medical students by medical students. And today we'll talk about language disorders. To start off with, we need to make a distinction between language and speech disorders. Speech disorders would be characterized by failure of the apparatus that produces speech, for example, the larynx or the tongue, which is a completely different set of disorders. Instead, we'll be talking about language, which is mainly expressive and receptive. And as we'll see a bit later in this episode, written and spoken languages modalities are affected. So before we talk about the disorder, we can talk about uh, we we should have a discussion on normal function. In an overwhelming majority of people, language processing happens in the left hemisphere mainly. Now, the right hemisphere also does have a small part and lesions in this area do produce some deficits in language. Although if the left side is affected, in most people there would be a marked disorder in language processing. So it's language processing is described as heteromodal. So it's not just sensory or motor, but instead it gets integration from all different regions of the brain, from the association cortices, and and similarly it feeds into these association cortices. So there's a lot of crosstalk between these regions. Just taking a step back and looking at the overall mechanism at this, which this works, spoken language falls on the ears where it's transduced into electrical signals that travel through the, uh, the uh, middle ear into the primary auditory cortex, which is in the superior region of the temporal lobe. From here, it, uh, it's, tra- it's transferred to the Wernicke's area, which is in the posterior region of the superior temporal gyrus. This is where language processing happens and, mo- and comprehension of spoken word occurs. From here, it go- moves on to the arcuate fasciculi. There's generally quite a few pathways, but the most established amongst all of these is the arcuate fasciculi, which takes this these electrical signals to the Broca's area. Now the Broca's area is in the inferior region of the frontal lobe and as we discussed in our other episodes the prefrontal and the supplementary motor area functions to create a sort of action plan for the primary motor cortex to carry out an action through the neural connections to the muscles. Similarly, Broca's area, the way the words have to be pronounced, the way the muscles in the face uh, work together to make speech uh, happen. And then finally, that feeds onto the primary motor cortex, which begins to activate the neurons that are responsible for the production of spoken word. Now similarly, language that is written down uh, will go through the eyes into the visual cortex uh, at the occipital lobe and from there through the angular gyrus it's transferred into the language area, so back into the Wernicke's area where comprehension of language occurs. Like we've already talked, these areas have a lot of crosstalk, so Wernicke's area has extensive connections to the parietal regions uh, and Broca's area has extensive connections to the prefrontal, premotor and supplementary motor uh, region of the brain or the frontal cortex. And both of these also have a lot of crosstalk between the association cortices, the basal ganglia and the thalamus. Together, they sort of integrate working memory, long-term memory, language, our vocabulary, what we've heard and what we want to say and produce the entire functionality of language as we know it. Now, disorders can happen on any anywhere in this, this sort of factory line of production of language. If the primary auditory cortex is affected, you could get a disorder called mutism where spoken word does not really is not really coded into electrical signals and that this can be confused with language disorders. If the Wernicke's area is affected, Wernicke's aphasia, where aphasia refers to lang- uh, language disorders. If the arcuate fasciculi, which transfers uh, signals from the Wernicke's to the Broca's area, is affected, then you get conduction aphasia. And if Broca's area is affected, then you get Broca's aphasia. And finally, if the primary motor cortex is affected, then you get apraxia. Now, just to reiterate 
when a non-dominant region of language which is generally mostly the right hemisphere of the brain is affected then there isn't any obvious language disorder but because there would be a loss of crosstalk a lot of patients may have difficulty in judging expression emotion or, or tone of voice or language when the dominant region is affected then crosstalk through the corpus callosum which joins both of the hemispheres together would allow the non-dominant region to take up function which explains which partly explains why there's recovery of function in people who get a severe aphasia because of stroke or hemorrhage or similar. So now we'll talk about the clinical features of each of these aphasias um, in turn. Uh, we start off with Wernicke's aphasia where, where the comprehension of language occurs. If this region, region is affected, then you would get fluent language because the Broca's area and the primary motor cortex is, is spared. But then comprehension will be impaired. So essentially, patients are unable to follow simple commands. Their expressive capability is not affected and neither is the tone at which they speak. However, they're generally unaware that the language that they speak does not make any sense. They're meaningless words that are put together, which, which can be quite frustrating for the patient. Because of the associated regions in the brain, uh, defects in, the, in, in Wernicke's area generally would also res result in, in contralateral visual loss because the optic radiation which transfers visual signals from the eye to the brain lie very close to the Wernicke's area. So to summarize that part, in Wernicke's aphasia, the patient can speak fluently but they do not comprehend speech and they're unable to repeat a sentence if asked. In Broca's aphasia, the patient is unable to produce meaningful speech. Their comprehension is generally spared but not, not completely. Like I mentioned, it's the expression of language that's affected and not one type of neurological systems that involve speech production. Written language is also affected. When patients do speak, it's an effortful and um, so-called telegraphic quality. That means with short words, with intermittent pauses. Very interestingly, speech can be preserved in semi-automatic tasks like music, singing songs that are very familiar, or recital of the days of the week. Because in this condition there's, disconnect, there's a disconnect to the Wernicke's area, the patient's unable to repeat a sentence that's spoken to them. And once again, because of the associated regions around Broca's area, um, right hemiparesis is possible because the primary uh, motor area is very close to Broca's area. So just to summarize, in Broca's aphasia, there's no fluency in speech. The patient can comprehend language and they cannot repeat. And then we could get conduction aphasia, which is a fluent aphasia but impaired repetition. Now, the reason this happens is, like I mentioned earlier, the signals that transfer comprehension to the planning of um, speech is affected hence the person can uh, the patient can understand but they can comprehend they can speak but they cannot repeat just to make it slightly confusing this this condition can occur in patients who are starting to recover from Wernicke's uh, aphasia in global aphasia there's a deficit in all language processing and because it's very likely that Broca and Wernicke's area is affected you could get the visual defects and the hemiparesis that occur in Wernicke's and Broca's aphasia, respectively. So essentially in global aphasia, the patient is not fluent, cannot comprehend language, and cannot repeat any language. The next disorder would be transcortical motor aphasia, which can be due to recovery from Broca's aphasia, and this is characterized by non-fluent speech. There's good comprehension and repetition, but there's difficulty in initiation, in initiation of speech and writing is disrupted.
So essentially this is a defect in the production of sound from the primary motor regions. In transcortical sensory aphasia, the patient is fluent but cannot comprehend because the sensory systems that lead into Wernicke's area is affected. Interestingly enough, these patients can actually repeat sentences that are spoken to them. So they can read language, they can hear language and repeat it, but they cannot comprehend what's being told to them. And in transcortical mixed aphasia, there are features of global aphasia, but repetition is spared. So there's no spontaneous speech and there's no comprehension, but the patient's able to repeat what they've been told. So now that we've made the classifications of these language disorders, the most common cause of language disorders would be strokes, hemorrhagic or ischemic. But other causes would include um, cerebral concussion uh, leading to bleeding. You could get brain dysfunction due to compression, uh, due to a mass lesion or tumors, uh, abscesses in the brain or hematoma formation. These disorders are seen in inflammatory and autoimmune diseases like um, multiple sclerosis and vasculitis. They are also seen in developmental disorders like autism. And as you may have predicted, degenerative diseases like Alzheimer's and Huntington's can also cause language disorders if the lesions are primarily in these regions that are involved in language processing. So the aim of diagnosis in patients with um, aphasia is to localize a lesion so that we could carry out further investigations. If the cause of the aphasia is reversible, then this is this is key because then that way you could reverse the uh, the cause if it's an abscess or a tumor with very little damage because of the initiating event. Similarly, you could also quantify the deficit, and that'll help in diagnosis and quantify the progression of disease so that help can be given to patients to uh, increase their quality of life. Now, aphasias generally do not fit strictly into the categories that we've already described and there's always a variable distribution of language defects especially because the distribution of language processing itself is very distributed is distributed around the, the brain especially in left-handers and deficits are not binary so it's not an all-or-nothing situation so in terms of localizing Wernicke's aphasia would generally would be a result of a lesion in the territory of the the inferior branch of the middle cerebral artery because like we talked about, this is a, around the lateral fissure in the superior temporal gyrus, which is supplied by the inferior middle cerebral artery. Broca's aphasia would be, would be in the region of the superior left middle cerebral artery, which supplies that region of the prefrontal cortex. Global aphasias would, would be a result of a lesion in the general region of the middle cerebral artery, which would include Broca and Wernicke's area. Conduction aphasia would, can be localized in the perisylvian area, which is uh, just around the lateral fissure that separates the uh, rest of the brain from the temporal lobe. Transcortical aphasias would generally be due to lesions in the interconnection to language areas that would disrupt crosstalk between the language processing areas and the rest of the brain. And these could include the frontotemporal, the basal ganglia, and the th thalamic regions of the brain. So essentially, a very thorough history would be able to establish risk factors and rule out differentials which we'll talk about in a second and at the same time it's important to assess literacy and other limiting factors that could which would cloud the judgment to which aphasia has manifested in the patient. A full neurological exam would be able to assess any other potential lesions in the brain and put a clinical picture together in terms of what's happening to the patient. So at this point we can talk about our differential diagnoses. The first thing you want to rule out is dysarthria or rather the failure of the apparatus that produces speech. At the same time, you also want to exclude mutism or speech deafness. You'd also like to rule out... So in dysarthria 
and mutism written and expressive languages still conserved so which is one good way of separating the, the differentials disorders that affect attention and consciousness can also be confused with language disorders and so can delirium and on that line psychiatric disorders like schizophrenia can also be confused to to be expressive or language disorders so the investigation that you'd like to run would be the routine bloods to rule out any underlying cause that may be contributing to the language disorder like metabolic disturbances but the mainstay is an mri scan of the brain where you could locate the lesion and look for any tumors or strokes that are contributing to the language disorder and finally we can talk about management so essentially you try and like every other disorder you try and treat the underlying cause and then after after which you start to treat other symptoms that may be associated with the brain lesion such as epilepsy and depression speech therapy should also be offered to patients who suffer from language disorders so that they're more expressive in terms of their speech they can try and recover as much as they can and they can develop an alternative communication system so that you could reduce frustration in patients and their families and at the same time increase the quality of life the role of medications in language disorders hasn't been strongly established but some medications such as acetylcholinesterase inhibitors like donazepil which i seem to be saying in every episode that i've done have been used and so has mimantine more recently transcranial magnetic electric stimulation has been tried and is still under development so generally what happens to patients who have language disorders like we've sort of alluded to already a lot of patients do end up recovering some of their language and expressive and receptive capabilities but essentially the prognosis of the disorder is influenced by the lesion location and the underlying etiology improvement does occur within months the severity of the onset generally has a negative effect on the prognosis of the patient hemorrhagic strokes have a better prognosis than ischemic ones and a good prognosis is also associated with uh, lower age and higher education in the patients so that's it for this episode thank you for listening if you've made it this far and hope to see you again next time Our episode today was put together by our executive producer Gautam and our co-editor Cindy. For notes, elective experiences, and much more study resources, visit our website on thecommonrounds.wordpress.com or visit us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. If you like our episodes, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. It means a lot to us. You've been listening to The Common Rounds. I'm Hamid. And I'm Andy. And we'll see you next time. See you next time.